All powers of hell will bend the knee against the great King of glory. Happy New Year's Day, University Baptist Church. What a blessing. You know, what a blessing you are. What a blessing. I came here over 40 years ago. And we've seen a lot of people come and go and... We celebrated the life of Mrs. Granberg, who was one of the very earliest members of this church, who did so much. And what a joy, and what a, uh, just a, a blessing she was. And look at this family back here, what a blessing you are. And then we have Mrs. Walton's memorial services coming up here in the next day or so. And, you know, the church just... People come, people go, people serve. What a blessing. What a blessing you are. Just look around. This is New Year's Day, and we're looking at a, at a, a full congregation. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for how you serve. And uh, just what a blessing. And uh, Brent, I would be remiss if I didn't thank you. You do not have story and adventure hour when you get in the pulpit. You preach the word. You're instant in season and out of season. And I don't know if we really understand and realize what a blessing it is to have men stand before us and break the word. Joseph, the job you did last Sunday. And John, John's in out, out west right now. But what a blessing, these men that preach. And I just want to thank you so much. Because it has enriched my life. University Baptist Church has done, you know, other than my salvation, has done more for my life than anything that, that there's ever been. So I, I, I think I need to say that to you, church. That this is a, a wonderful place and I'm so thankful Brent called me, and uh, certainly when we talked about this the other week, I did not expect that he would be calling this soon. And, uh, but that was fine. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, in my Bible reading, and I tried to do a Bible reading plan this year. I was doing a chronological plan. And I listen, and I listen to it as I read it, and that, that helps me because I'm hearing the Word as well as reading the Word. And that particular day, it was the book of Titus. And I listened to that and I said, wow, this is so practical. This would be great maybe to teach, to teach through this. And so then I woke up the next night in the middle of the night or I was having trouble going to sleep. You know how it is when you have those coughs and you take that nighttime medicine and sometimes it wakes you up and you start doing crazy things? Well, I, I do that. And but I started thinking about that, and all of a sudden I'm I'm find myself preaching in my you know in my stupor. That's sort of the way God works in my life. I mean, he'll he'll give me a text, and I'll start thinking about it. So when Brent asked me, I thought, well, I've got a text, but do I have a message? Well, we've got a text, and we're going to take a look this morning at the letter from Paul to Titus, and forgive me, we're going to look at the whole thing. Now, it's not that much. It's three chapters. 
But if you'll bear with me and if you will open your Bibles, and I think we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. And let's just walk down through here and let's see what the message is. And my goal for for this message is simple. My goal is to introduce you to introduce you to this letter from Paul to Titus, to take a look at it briefly, and not I'm not going to go very deep because I don't have the capability of going very deep. But maybe it will it will cause you to think, boy, I'll look into this more and meditate more on it. And I think that there's some things that we'll hear here that can help us. And then we'll come with some practical applications. So turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, that's important, God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested or made known in His Word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's Paul, and he's sending a letter to Titus. Now, Titus had been a fellow laborer with Paul on some of his missionary journeys, and he leaves him in the island of Crete. So let's get the context here. Paul is writing a letter to Titus. Titus is in the island of Crete. Where is Crete? Crete is south of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. It's 3,200 square miles. It's a pretty large island. And it also was a waypoint for people traveling in the Mediterranean. So as they would travel from the Middle East, say, over to Rome, almost all the time they would stop at one of the port cities in Crete. So it was this crossroads. And if you know anything about Paul, as he was ministering, he loved to establish churches where people were coming and going, and there was a crossroads. That's what's wonderful about having a church in a college town. We sit here in a college town and there's people coming and going. Our congregation completely flips almost about every five years. Why? Because are people leaving our church? No. Not any more so than what's usual. But it's mostly because people are leaving our area. And then people are coming into our area. It's always exciting to look at the back door and see who shows up. It really is exciting to see who shows up. So here's Paul, and he's writing this letter to Titus. Now, he's going to tell us why he writes the letter in the next sentence. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul had been there. And Titus, by the way, was a Gentile, and they had gone around and had preached, and people were saved, and house churches were being started. But this is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order. There were some problems. There were some problems going on in this culture. Let me tell you something about Crete. 
You've heard of the Greek gods. Well, this was the religion of the people in Crete. You've heard of Zeus, the god Goose. Zeus, Goose, the god Zeus. Zeus was supposedly born in Crete. These were the mythology. This is what these people worshipped. So that was their background. And these were not upright gods. If you know anything about the gods, they were deceptive. They did things that uh, we would not think would be proper. And that's why when Paul says and talks about the God who never lies, that was significant. Remember, this letter is going to be read in these house churches in, in Crete. So as Paul is writing this letter to Titus, he's writing something they're, they're going to read. And so there's a culture here of people who lie. You'll see that in a moment. And there's a culture of a lot of sensuality and that sort of thing. So Paul is attacking it. And he's saying, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. So what Paul wants him to do is to go and shore up the leadership in these churches. And then Paul turns around and he gives him again the qualifications. The reason I say again is because we find this same qualifications in 1 Timothy. By the way, this letter Titus, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, he wrote Titus, and he wrote 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote which is a wonderful read because you think I'm reading the last will and testament of a man. And I'm always excited in in 2 Timothy where Paul talks about that I'm poured out as a drink offering, that my life is being poured out in the service to the Lord. Paul refers to himself here as a servant. He doesn't say an apostle. In many of his epistles he says, says, Paul, apostle. But he says here, Paul, a servant, a bond servant, a slave, a bond slave. So, so here he is. If anyone is above reproach, the qualifications for the elders that he wants to be in the church, and these are the divine qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. Debauchery, excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures. Think of, think of a, a party where everybody goes and they, they, they get under the influence of either drugs or alcohol and then there's sexual promiscuity and just anything goes. That would be a good description of what we're talking about here. I think in other places in Scripture you, there's a word orgies that's used. I think that would be a similar type thought. So, uh, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Insubordination is the defiance of authority. You aren't going to tell me what to do. For an overseer as God's steward, and what does a steward do, by the way? A steward takes possession of another man's, takes control of another man's possessions and manages it for the other man. A steward, well, he was, he says that that overseer as God's steward, and the overseer, again, elder, overseer, we're talking about the same office, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent for, or greedy for gain. 
In other words, not not just his life is not all about money. His life is not an arrogant person. Arrogance is a terrible, terrible thing. Arrogance comes out of out, out of pride. I think that what I think is what the way it is, and I have no room for what your opinion is. Quick tempered, quick tempered, and and let me tell you. Have you ever had someone touch your hot button? Do you have a hot button? If you don't have a hot button, that's a good thing. (laughs) But if you have a hot button, you know what quick-tempered is. There are certain things. You guys here, I know you young guys and your sisters, you know all about that. It's true. It's true. You have brothers and sisters, you'll have explosions of quick temper. And that's... Exactly what we're referring to. But he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But, but, should be hospitable. That's kind of like having people over every Friday night to your house for a meal. That's hospitable. In fact, to have them over once a year for a meal is hospitable. (laughs) But it's entertaining other people and taking care of others' needs. A lover of good... Self-controlled. Self-controlled. We're going to talk more about self-control. Self-controlled, we find over and over in this this passage. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. The word of God is trustworthy. The word of God is what we can, our faith is built on. It's what the truth is. And, and he, he holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught so, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, what he's getting ready to get into is, is a problem that really occurred in much of Paul's ministry, but is occurring here is Paul goes in and there are converts. And people come to the Lord. And a house church is established. And then he moves on. Well, right behind him come some Jewish so-called Christians who come in to these house churches and they immediately come and say to them, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you also need to obey the Jewish law. So you need to be circumcised now. You need to follow the Mosaic law. You need to do all these customs of the Jews. That's the battle he's, he's fighting. And he fights that everywhere he goes. Well, this is what he's, these are the people he's referring to. These Judaizers. Now, let's see how he refers to them and what he says about them. And it helps you to understand what they're doing. He said, for there are many who are insubordinate or that are rebellious. They're empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Those that are the ones that are coming in saying, you got to be circumcised or your salvation is of no effect. They must be silenced. Why? Because they're upsetting whole families. They're going into those house churches and they're upsetting whole families teaching this. And they're teaching for shameful gain. 
they would go in and, and they were knowledgeable, perhaps, of the Old Testament. And so they would appear to be very godly people that come in and teach. And then as they would teach, they would expect to be paid. He said, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, that's not what Paul said. That's what Epimenides said. Epimenides was a Greek philosopher. And he talked about the Cretans are liars. And so... Actually, just the name Crete, Cretizo, meant liar. I mean, that's how bad this culture was. And he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And now Paul says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So even with that going on, Paul has hope that if they're rebuked for the teaching, that maybe they'll repent and be sound in the faith. So his attitude toward them is to try to bring them to repentance and to the faith. Not not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Then he says, to the pure, all things are pure. Okay, that's great. But have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered that you know people that just can't understand the gospel, that just don't have any spiritual interest? Have you met those people before and you pray for them and continue to pray for them and you want them to know the Lord? Well, look at what this says. But to the defiled and unbelieving, that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Many times people have defiled their conscience, and they just can't get it. And I'm going to tell you, I'll say this. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. What we believe is made known to others by what we do and say. You, you, can, you can say whatever you want about what you believe, but what you do and say is going to show what you believe. And that's convicting because I don't always act like a Christian for me. And I'm supposing that you understand that when I say that. Now, let's go to chapter 2. So what is it that Paul, now that he's established that there, these elders are to, be, are to be there and that this is the, the danger and this is what's going on and these are the problems. Now, this is what he wants to teach, but this is for all believers. So as we go into this next passage, we're going to say, but it's for you. Teach what accords or what is in agreement with sound doctrine. Now he's going to... He's going to refer now to four groups of people. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. All right? All right? Who here thinks that you're a... No. (laughs) Paul was about 60 when he wrote this, so I think older men 
I hate to admit it, but I think that's where I am. Older men. My wife, though, now she is much younger than I am. Older men. Sober-minded. Dignified. Self-controlled. I told you I'd stop. Self-controlled. Self-controlled is the constraint over our desires, impulses, and emotions. Self-control is having constraint over our desires, impulses, and emotions. That's tough, y'all. Self-control is difficult. It is really difficult. You know, oftentimes things happen. And we react and we get very upset over something that's happened. And what is it that we want to do? We want to settle it up right now. We want to either have an argument and get it settled or go to somebody and say, you offended me and this, that, and the other. But self-control constrains us. And there are many times that the right answer is wait. Give this some time. Let it settle. There's nothing that you have to say today that can't wait till a week from now. And you know what I have found, and maybe you would agree with this, is that a week from now it's not nearly as important. In fact, two or three weeks from now is fine, and oftentimes I never address it. But I always run the risk of being upset, either my emotions are involved, I've, I've, I've gotten now where I've got to get this settled and I end up doing more harm than I do anything else. So this idea for older men to be self-controlled is a wonderful thing because older men, oftentimes we think we know everything because we've, um, you know, we've seen a lot, so we know a lot. And sometimes we need to be very, very careful about that attitude. Sound in the faith, in love, and steadfastness. Steadfastness also might have the idea of unwavering. I'm unwavering in my faith. Older women, likewise, likewise, older women are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So, here, here's the older women, and I like this thought of them there training the younger women. And I do understand, I think, why the younger women have to be trained to love their husbands because young husbands are, are just uh, don't know what they're supposed to do. And they fumble along and make a lot of mistakes, and, and these poor girls. So, the younger women need to be trained by the older women. How do you put up with all of this? And, and, you know, I mean, and I'm, I'm serious about this. It's, it's really a difficulty as you're coming together. If young women and young men are coming together in a marriage, in that marriage relationship, and they start families, and I don't see how you do it. I honestly don't see how. I mean, we had five children. We've got 12 grandchildren. I don't know how Gretchen did it. I really don't. I really just don't know. I don't know how my children do it. it it's exhausting. And, and, uh, but there we have the idea of training. 
And, and, and that should help us to understand that we aren't necessarily going to know everything there is to know. And that we do need some help and we should look out to help. And if moms, if the, if the, if I don't have a close, you know, my mother or someone I can talk to, find another older woman, get some help. And older women should be willing and able to do that. So train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. Again, exercise that constraint, that restraint. There to says working at home. Working at home, you could think of that as taking care of the household. You know, there's no prohibition for a woman to work outside of the house. I don't think that's where it's coming from there. Otherwise, I'm not sure where you come up with Proverbs 31. But kind and submissive to their own husbands. And husbands, I would like to tell you something about this. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Well, this entails listening to her and placing great value on her opinion. So this is not setting up some sort of dictatorial relationship between a husband and a wife. So submissive to their own husbands, that what? The word of God may not be devoured. Likewise, urge younger men. Younger men, you're very important. You're an important group here. You're to be self-controlled. There it is again. Self-controlled. 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 Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, young men, in your teaching. You hear me? In your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Then he's going to go to another group. Now, this group were the slaves. And in that culture, there were slaves. They were bond slaves. Now, in our culture, we don't necessarily have that people that are slaves. But I think you could also look at this, and you could almost look at this and think in terms of an employer-employee relationship. So maybe we can apply it that way. But here's what they're saying. To be submissive to their own masters in everything. In everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not embezzling or pilfering, but showing all good faith so in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. They may make the doctrine of God our Savior more beautiful that I'm not detracting and taking away from the gospel. The way I'm working and the way I'm doing my job is bringing great glory to the gospel and it's presenting the gospel. Does that make any sense? That I'm not, by the way I'm acting and doing, detracting and taking away from the gospel. Now, how do these things that we've looked at, and these are all character traits, so we look at them and what if I said this morning... Well, how many of you are struggling with one or more of these things? We'd probably have everyone raise your hand. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I mean, uh, really. And I think we'll find here in a moment great encouragement. But look at this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, Okay, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, what's going on here is when we're saved and we receive the Holy Spirit of God, that then what's our mission? Our mission is to do those good works. We can't do it of ourselves. We're going to struggle. We're going to make mistakes. But what God is doing is He's setting apart His church as a testimony to everyone around Him. All right, let's go to the next next chapter. So, these characteristics, and this is the way that we should behave, and this is the way we should behave at home, but how do we behave in the public square? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. So that means that we as believers don't run around breaking laws We shouldn't be doing that. That's not a good testimony. We're to be obedient. And that's again getting back to our in the workplace. To be ready for every good work. Listen to this. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Can you imagine going to work And everybody acted like this at work. Huh? You say, well, nobody would have anything to say if that's all they could do. I mean, you know, what's the favorite pastimes? Talk about somebody. Right? And it's always somebody and, you know, you gang up and this one's my enemy. And it's the way of the world. But look what he says. This is what Paul, Paul says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's Paul. That's Paul writing that. He says, that's who we were. That's what we were. So my point to you is, this is not where Paul ended up. What changed? What changed? Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, He what? He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according His mercy and by the washing of regeneration. My sins were forgiven. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, I received the Spirit of God when I believed on the risen Savior, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that hope of eternal life 
is why we could have a service for Mrs. Granberg and a service for Mrs. Walton, and we know where they are, and we know that we'll be able to go and join and be with them, and we can rejoice in that, that hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to do what? To devote themselves to good works. Whoa. Now, it has nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with how God wants us as individual believers, and then He wants us corporately as a church to serve Him. And do you know when you have a group of saved believers who are growing in sanctification, who are gathering together to encourage one another, and then those people go out into the community and they're able to share with others what's going on with them, and others come into that church. Do you know what happens? People look around and they say, this is different. And it's a testimony for Jesus Christ. And people will be saved. Does that make sense? That God wants, the, wants this place to be a very special place where the doctrine is pure, where the truth is taught. But He wants us to be humble believers ministering to each other Doing good works. And I'm telling you, there's so many of you that do such good works. You ever notice when you come into the building that there's not a bunch of leaves out there? You ever notice that? Well, there were a lot of leaves out there till Adam started going every morning, early in the morning and, and getting rid of it. Have you ever walked in and seen all the trash in the pews? No, you haven't seen the trash in the pews. Because the Molines come and clean it all up. It's good works. Have you noticed where we have uh, a funeral service here and there's a nice meal prepared and there's people that are there serving and doing things? Why is that? Because they're good works. Do you know why it is that when someone is struggling in, in the nursing home, that there are those that are going to come alongside and pray with them or go and help them. Do you know what that is? Good works. See, that's what God has called us to. You want to talk about New Year's resolutions? Good works. Do you see it? And it all emanates and comes and flows out of the church. And this is what Paul was trying to get Titus to do, is to go and strengthen these churches, help them to make sure that their doctrine was right, that they had the right leadership, that the doctrine was pure, the doctrine was right, and helping them to change from false ways to go to do good works. And he says to him here in verse 9, but also to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Notice that, unprofitable and worthless. But go back up to verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, 
These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, how could that be? In, in my feeble mind, I just believe that when you go and do it unto others, that God blesses you. And it ends up being very profitable for you. Why? Because God does it. He rewards you for your work and rewards you. And then finally, if I go down to verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way to see that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Is that pretty practical? Huh? Isn't that simple? Can you imagine... Can you imagine the depth of the Word of God that we didn't even scratch it, but yet can you, as we read through that, can you not take and apply certain things to your own heart and your own life that can be useful? And as, as, um, as I've thought through that, I want to just give you a few things in closing that I see in this in this letter, and this is just these are notes that I jotted down. So I, you know, if if you have an issue with them, I understand. <laughs> I know where they came from. But the first thing I I have seen here is that God is trustworthy and never lies. God is trustworthy and never lies. The leaders of the church need to meet the qualifications ordained by God. You know this this is of the Lord. These qualifications, we need to be careful that we follow those. The ministry of the Word should always be of sound doctrine and instruction. Ministry should always be of sound doctrine and instruction. And there will be opposition to the truth, and it is often from religious and knowledgeable people. This is, the, this is some of the difficulty. This is where it really gets difficult. God's people should strive for the character ordained by God. So as we look and go through that litany of the old, you know, the old men, the young men, we should look at those character traits and that, that should be things that we strive for. And then God's people should carry their character to the community as they represent God out in the community or out in our culture. And let me tell you, the way the church is going to change the culture is when the people from the church go out into the culture and live and work and take the advantage of those relationships for the glory of God. What a blessing. Thank you again for all that you do. And I will say this. When I'm talking about good works, it's not that I'm sitting here in any way thinking that you aren't doing good works. You understand what I'm saying? This church is one of the most giving and generous churches I've ever known. But I think 
that, that Scripture teaches us that we need to keep on keeping on. And we need to look for opportunities to be able to serve and minister. And God will use that to bring people to himself. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this letter that was written from Paul to Titus. And I pray that you would just let these words burn in our hearts. And Father, I, I, I do not know um, why this particular passage was, was uh, given for today, but I, I know that you know. I pray that you would work in all of our hearts and lives. Lord, it is a new beginning. And as we move forward, may we just ask that 2023 would be a, a great year in the life of University Baptist Church, in the life of each individual here. Might we serve each other, might we love each other, but most of all, might we love you and walk with you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.